Hello, and welcome to episode 101 of Sensationalist Tree Geek, live from Yancey Street. And while we're at it, happy August 1st, aka Lunasa, if you celebrate either of those. It is the midpoint between uh, the beginning of spring, sorry, the beginning of summer and fall. In a little bit of a different turn of events, I would like to start this episode by, uh, let's say, pimping out the Discord that my husband Adam and I are running. There's only a couple of people in it. Adam will be joining us later in the episode, in case you were wondering. Um, There's only a couple of people who are in the Discord with us right now, but we would love to grow that just to have, like, you know, friends, adult friends. It's hard to make friends as an adult. Let's be real. That's what we're we're doing this for, that is Discord. (laughs) And you can talk about stuff that I talk about on the podcast or not and completely ignore the fact that I do the podcast. I really don't care. Uh, we're just looking for like-minded people to join us in the discord and have some fun. Okay. Um, and you can find that linked in the description, uh, where I'm also going to have links to our social media, mine and Adam's, uh, we use Instagram more or less primarily for what little we're even on it. Um, but when there was also whatever the links to things and my website and my blog and, uh, the podcast notes are, uh, just like a loose, somewhat, sometimes loose, sometimes more intensive, like outline for what I'm doing for the podcast weekly, which I make available to everybody, uh, if they want to see that for whatever reason, following along or for being hearing impaired or anything really, whatever, I don't care what you do with it. It's just me babbling, just like the podcast. So anyway, I think that covers all of the introduction stuff. Um, also, my name is Anna, in case you guys didn't know that. Um, I, I get all these emails sometimes from different podcasting hosts, uh, providers, I guess. Um, and they always say, hello, sensational she geek. Okay, well, you obviously didn't listen to the podcast because I have a name. <laughs> but whatever, <laughs> it's fine. And I'm hoping that the audio is a little bit better this week. Um, I've kind of been messing around with the the cord on my microphone in the market for a new one. If you have any suggestions of things that aren't astronomically expensive, I would love to hear them. Um, So hopefully it sounds a little bit better. I just made a video about my Disney Dreamlight Valley setup, um, which is mostly unfiltered. So that's why I have marked 18 and up because I'm testing to see if Disney will let me do that. (laughs) Um, So anyway, it's up on my YouTube page where I put my action figure review videos and stuff, which let me grab it right now. I don't know why I grabbed her. It's not like you can see her, but it's here. Um, For some reason, it's a Spider-Man. It's a Marvel Legends, which I know I shit on Marvel Legends all the time and Hasbro, which is still deserved. <laughs> uh, but this is a Daredevil Electra action figure that I'm going to be unboxing on my YouTube channel tomorrow, probably, because I haven't found the the issues. It's got the picture on the front, and I have that issue that the picture on the front is from the Marco Schicchetto art, but I can't find the issue in our long boxes and short. We have a... A selection of long boxes and short boxes to store our comics. We really need like just a room to put shelving in. <laughs> um, so it's it's you, you get real sweaty looking through them. So I'll do that tomorrow when I don't have work later in the day, like today. <laughs> um, and I don't have to get I can get all sweaty and not worry about stinking at work. So anyway, um, look out for that on my YouTube channel, and also watch the Dreamlight Valley video if you are into me running around saying dumb shit which is really just what this podcast is, I guess. So moving along, uh, the actual things that we'll be talking about on this podcast are pretty much standard. 
Uh, we're going to talk tarot card of the week, which this week is number 14, Temperance, which is a very queer card, and I'm super happy about that. Um, and so we'll talk all about the history and the pop culture references, Marvel tarot, anime tarot, all of that fun stuff. Um, really excited for that. We have a limited manga section. Um, instead of manga of the week, I'm going to talk about two things that I've read recently that are manga related, and that's My Dress Up Darling Volume 9, which came out uh, mid to late July in English, and then Superman vs. Meshi number two, which is the <laughs> one of the three DC uh, Japanese DC publications that are getting published in English now. Um, in the comic books, we have not really any comic book news. Later on in the podcast, I'll talk about uh, things that I'm looking forward to this month of August, because uh, there's a lot of really fun stuff getting kicked off and events and whatnot happening. So we'll go over that kind of briefly. But I have a uh, catch up on all of the recent reads uh, for the past week or so. It includes Ultimate Invasion number two, the end of Hellcat, the start of Per Evil. I'm pretty sure the finale of She-Hulk before they kick off Sensational in uh, October. Uh, you know, a couple other things, and then, of course, the two issues that come from the fall for X-Men and Marvel, that's the Hellfire Gala and Iron Man number three. I'm sure there was more than that, but those are the two that I read. Uh, and then all of the Night Terrors stuff, which includes the one-shots, or it's, it's the first issues of the two shots for various characters, and then the, um, the Night Terrors number two, which was the, like, official thing, uh, official series for the event. Uh, we'll talk briefly about stuff that is coming out new this week. That is today, the 1st of August for DC Comics, and tomorrow the 2nd for everything else, because DC's just got to be different like that. Um, and that's going to include, include what's coming for Marvel's The Fall and DC's Night Terrors as well. Um, and then that'll bring us into the movies, TV, and anime segment. Uh, obviously starting like usual with a new and noteworthy, including things that we're watching for the spring anime season. Uh, we've got a couple of movies, and uh, it's going to be two very opposite ones I'll talk about briefly. The Little Mermaid live action and Knock at the Cabin, which are completely opposite ends of the spectrum. But I had a lot of fun watching both of them for extremely different reasons. Um, and then we'll have just very briefly news and announcements before we get into current shows where Adam will join us. And he'll talk with us about Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 8, Under the Cloak of War the Secret Invasion finale episodes, and then the kickoff of Harley Quinn animated series season four, episodes one through three, titles of which include Gotham's Hottest Hotties, B-I-T-C-H, and Icons Only. How can you not absolutely love this show? That's one of my friendship tests. We probably won't get along if you don't like this show. You can still check out the Discord because I'm sure there's other stuff that we agree on. Just don't talk about the fight. You don't like that show. Because it says a lot, to me, it says a lot about a person. But whatever. Let's get started. As I said, we are starting off with our tarot lessons. The card of the week from the Major Arcana is card number 14, titled Temperance. We're going to go over the history first, which isn't too big. My usual resource of tarot-heritage.com doesn't have a page on the card Temperance. So I went and found some other resources to put together some loose history uh, there's a bit more in description and symbolism, and then interpretation and meaning, which will compare a more modern take to the 1910 A.E. Waite take, which is always a little bit funny and dramatic. R, I am 14, and this is deep of him. Uh, then pop culture, we'll talk Marvel tarot, anime tarot, and JoJo. 
and then we'll give a little summary, and that'll be the end of the tarot for this week. Uh, I don't have a deck of the month because I've had to, like, really uh, focus in on things that are kind of more reasonable in my brain to be able to keep up with, and then on weeks that I feel like I can do a little bit more, maybe I'll add some deck of the week again, or deck of the month again, but for right now, um, I'm just going to do what I feel like is feasible for me in my various, whatever my current state might be. So starting with history, uh, temperance is almost invariably depicted as a person pouring liquid from one receptacle into another, usually a cup. Historically, this was a standard symbol of the virtue temperance, one of the cardinal virtues representing the dilution of wine with water. A woman mixing water into wine was a standard allegory of temperance in European iconography. As for the identity of the figure, temp temperance is almost invariably, they use that word a lot, depicts a figure with pouring a figure with pouring liquid from one cup to another. This figure is usually referred to as the virtue temperance or as an angel, though several other interpretations also exist. In particular, British occult and witchcraft author Paul Hewson suggests that the figure once represented Ganymede, who served a cup bearer who served as a cupbearer to Zeus. It is also possible that the figure could be the goddess Iris or the archangel Gabriel. For Gabriel, they say that it's him because of the Hebrew sun symbol on his forehead. To them, the triangle shown in the square on the chest of the figure apparently tells of the Holy Trinity in perfect balance. They say Archangel Gabriel is the Archangel of the Sun and tells that one can achieve mental balance, then that the sun leads to wisdom, understanding, and achievement. And then finally, spiritual karma, supposedly depicted in the wings of the figure, indicates his unconditional love. I don't really see that one. I like the more the Iris take on it. Iris in Greek mythology is a daughter of the gods Thaumas and Electra, a servant to the Olympians, and especially Queen Hera, a, a messenger of the gods and a personification of the rainbow. The Iris interpretation is supported by the rainbow, which is often added above her head, and the fact that the flowers pictured in the Rider Waite tarot version of the card are irises. As for description and symbolism on the card, the figure wears a light blue robe with a triangle enclosed in a square on the front, representing that humans, a triangle, are bound by the earth and natural law, the square. The triangle in the square is septenary, septenary, yes, the symbol for the number seven, seven sides. In the Rider Waite image of, by Pamela Coleman Smith, the Hebrew tetragrammaton is on the angel's chest above the square and triangle. It is in the derivative tarot decks. This is usually not included. If you're wondering what that is, the four-letter Hebrew theonym, uh, translated as YHWH or YHVH, is the name of God in the Hebrew Bible. While there is no consensus about the structure and etymology of the name, the form Yahweh is now accepted almost universally, though the vocalization Jehovah continues to have a wide usage, which also explains the name of Jehovah Witness. The angel balances between one foot, or supposed angel I guess, balances between one foot on the rocks, expressing the need to stay grounded, and one foot in the water, showing the need to be in the flow, and encouraging us to let life force flow freely. In many decks, the person is androgynous, walking that somewhat middle path in the gender binary, as with the land and water. They pour water between two cups, symbolic of the flow and alchemy of life, a combination of elements which, again, can often be linked to the figure's queerness. 
blending of the different elements into a harmonious substance or presents a bridge between polarities like heaven and earth, masculine and feminine, beginning and end. The water depicted on the card indicates emotions and the connection to the subconscious seen by the foot in the water. Water is the essence of life. The winding road leading to a mountain range on the distant horizon depicts one's life journey. It tells of a difficult road to follow, but one must be aware that it leads to a place of peace and balance. Above the mountains hovers a golden crown encased in a glowing light, a symbol of taking the higher path and staying true to one's life purpose and meaning. Moving on to the interpretation and meaning of the card itself. According to good old A.E. Waite's 1910 book, The Pictorial Key to the Tarot, Temperance Card is associated with, he says, economy, moderation, frugality, management, accommodation. In the reverse, he says it means things connected with churches, religions, sects, the priesthood, sometimes even the priests who will marry querent, whatever that means, also disunion, unfortunate combinations, and competing interests. A lot of that doesn't make any sense based on the <laughs> descriptions that we've talked about, but he was quite a dude, A.E. Wait, Not always in good ways. Uh, from Biddy Tarot, which is by Bridget Esselmont, she writes the upright meaning as balance, moderation, patience, and purpose, and reversed as imbalance, excess, self-healing, and realignment. To uh, expand on that just a touch, she says, Temperance is the card for, beginning balance, for bringing balance, patience, and moderation into your life. You are being invited to stabilize your energy and to allow the life force to flow through you without force or resistance. It's time to recover your flow and get your life back into order and balance. This card calls on you to remain calm even when life feels stressful or frantic. Maintain an even temperament and manage your emotions. Temperance asks you to take the middle path and accommodate all perspectives. Now is not the time to be highly opinionated or controversial. Be the peacekeeper and take the balanced and moderate approach, avoiding any extremes. Include others and bringing together diverse groups of people to create harmony and cooperation. By working together, you will collectively leverage the right mix of talents, experiences, and abil abilities and skills. This tarot card is about blending, mixing, and combining diverse elements in a way that creates something new and even more valuable than its separate parts. Blending can take on many forms. For example, a blended family, an artist who blends different materials or techniques, a bartender who mixes new and exciting cocktails, or a chef who combines different cuisines and cooking styles. Finally, this card reflects higher learning. Your inner voice is guiding you to the right outcome, and you are patiently listening and following. And that brings us to pop culture references. We're going to do Marvel Tarot, Anime Tarot, and then JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We'll start with JoJo, why not? In JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, characters' powers, also known as stands, are named after tarot cards. The Temperance power, or stand, belongs to Rubber Soul, who is a minor antagonist. So for the Marvel Tarot, uh, this was published in 2007 as a journal, like a fictional journal, of this character in the Marvel Universe who is going through and reading the tarot cards and... Uh, it's got, like, notes about various esoteric things in the Marvel Universe, the 616. Um, a really cool, honestly, page that shows the different, like, purple dimension, uh, dark dimension, all those things kind of in a line, uh, how they how they kind of line up. It's very cool. It's, it's, that, that particular page is very reminiscent of Grant Morrison's Multiversity. But anyway, 
Um, so, so the character is going through in this journal and assigning um, characters of the 616 to the uh, various tarot cards. So this one he assigns to Topaz. Uh, let's see what he says here. i got to zoom in because I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> Topaz, the perfect person to personify temperance. The card of healing because she is more than an empath, more than a healer, more than a sorceress. She is kind. She truly cares about others. She saved my life once when I thought I wanted to die. I tried to stop her, to convince her that I would be better off, that everyone would be better off if she would just let me go. She rolled her eyes and told me to shut the hell up. I laughed so hard that I knew I wasn't ready to let go of anything. I shut the hell up and let her heal me. I have no regrets. I just hope I can play, pay her back someday, somehow. The, 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 he's got her on the card, obviously, in his journal, but it's really funny because it's on this background of, like, stained glass windows from churches. It really doesn't make any sense. I would love to see this uh, kind of fictional journal redone for a more modern audience. Um, and its reasonabilities and sensibilities and everything. So for the anime tarot, this is Tasha Iglesias' anime tarot, exploring the archetypes, archetypes, symbolism, and magic in anime. Um, for the temperance card, we have the character of the pacifists. Let's pull that out here and see what it says. 13, 14. The pacifist. Temperance's analog in anime is the pacifist. These characters prioritize diplomacy, peace, moderation, and compassion when others' emotions get the best of them. They put aside grudges in order to problem-solve creatively. Creatively. I don't know why I said that weird. Maintain order and keep the peace. If they must fight, it's usually to defend that peace or to protect those in need. And even then, pacifists do as do so as the last resort, with heavy hearts and in surprising, innovative ways. Characters who are shows... It says... <clears throat> yeah. She has a list. The pacifist appears in Bleach, um, Orihime Inui, and Oscar Joaquin Del Rosa. In Trigun, it's Vashed Stampede, of course. In Howl's Moving Castle, it is Howl Jenkins Pendragon, also, of course. In One Piece, King Riku Doldo III. Ruri Kenshin, it is Himura Kenshin. In Code Geass, it is... Is it Geass? I think it is. Euphemia Libritania. What <laughs> a shitty name, I'm sorry. In Hunter x Hunter, it is Prince Halkenberg Huigoro, which I'm definitely said wrong. Huigoro. Slightly better. And in Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, it is Relina Darlin. So there you are with the pop culture references. To summarize the pacifist card. Sorry, that's the... <laughs> to summarize the temperance card. Are you a person who has mastered the art of finding balance at all times? For most of us, the answer is no. It is part of the human experience to look for harmony and equilibrium. Finding it can bring great joy and relief. You are capable of finding harmony and enjoying well-being, even when faced with challenges. The things you will need are threefold. Persistence, patience, and a clear vision of what you truly desire. Just a couple of points in the manga segment. Um, I have a news point, which is that manga creator, horror manga creator, Junji Ito received Comic-Con International's Inkpot Award. This is pretty much the primary, or if not only, mangaka-based award that they give out at uh, Comic-Con during around the same time as the Eisners, uh, mangaka being a manga creator. So that's really fun. 
uh, check out his uh, show that's on Netflix right now. If it's uh, Tales of the Macabre, if you want to see more about his stories. For manga of the week, we don't really have one, as I said, but I will talk about My Dress Up Darling Volume 9 and Superman vs. Meshi vs. 2. Uh, My Dress Up Darling Volume 9 was really good because it introduced a number of new characters who we hadn't seen at all before, some of which we had talked to or talked about, they hadn't talked about, um, but now we get to see them and hang out with them, and it adds another layer of, um, let's say, drama <laughs> uh, to the relationship between the two main characters um, as they are becoming slightly jealous of these other characters who are coming in. So that's very fun. Um, I was a little bit put off by the need to lose weight <laughs> part of it that starts at the beginning, um, which I suppose makes sense if in a cosplay context, a person is always growing, you know, especially in high school like they are. Um, so gaining weight in high school is not because you have gotten fat necessarily. It's because you are still growing as a person. Um, but then, of course, the whole thing about like, oh, yeah, cosplays won't fit anymore. OK, fine. That kind of that kind of solves it. But it was still really uh, surprising to find there. Superman versus Meshi versus two. Very simple uh, Superman goes to a burger joint that he's been looking forward to this burger all day, but they're sold out. So he goes to Japan for a beef bowl and has this whole thing about he's trying to figure out which kanji is beef and which is pork. And he orders the wrong one. He gets pork instead and is about to get really upset. But then he gets overwhelmed by the <laughs> sensation and the smells and everything and decides that he likes it more than the beef bowl would have anyway. So super cute. Looking forward to more. So let's talk comic books. Um, we're going to go over first the things that were recent releases that I've read. We're going to start with Ultimate Invasion number two. So a couple of things that we know the maker has confirmed being different, um, which are pretty, some of them are pretty wild. So we start with Loki is the king of Asgard and the Bifrost is broken. The Fantastic Four never hit the cosmic storm due to a flight delay and are just regular people. Stain and Stark Industries combine, but it's Howard Stark, not Tony Stark. Howard never dies. Um, possibly Tony may not even have been born. Um, Mortal Hulk is a holy man, and magic leads the Rasputin family. You have a white page um, of 616 heroes who are either inactive, deceased, captive, or otherwise controlled. So he's clearly like on his shit about this. Um, the maker is like... He's in Latveria in this like bubble thing that he, this bubble city thing he created, and there's this big political hubbub about it's going to open and he's going to come out and they're going to the world's going to meet him for the or whatever it is, um, and so that's where you have the the immortal Hulk there with his holy man and people and uh, the Rasputin family there and a couple of others, um, and I think they also say that. Everybody except for Reed Richards out of the Fantastic Four, what would have been the Fantastic Four, have actually died now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's kind of interesting because the maker comes out of his little sealed city thing and just looks up at the sky and says, I'm waiting. And all of these heroes come out and attack the, uh, attack him. And at first they're like, oh, it's from uh, it's all the heroes who were inactive or deceased or whatever from this world coming from other universes. Um, but after the maker wins, you discover that it's actually not what happens. Um, he just captures them all and puts them in his little prison and kind of reveals that they are actually from the future, <laughs> from this unit, from various futures come as like suicide bombers, basically to try and stop him from 
stopping all of these heroes from having legacies. Um, so he, the maker, uses this genetic marker thing that he has to find their ancestors that are in this time currently and then kills all of them so all of the heroes get like wiped out of existence at a cellular level which is wild and very much something along the lines of what the maker would do uh, and then he speaks with Howard Stark and says listen I've had this whole accident he shows him this big hole in his head doesn't matter because his brain and everything else is elsewhere because that's also another very maker thing of him to do and he shows Howard this time machine and explains, like, I got this memory issue because somebody attacked me, but here I think you, Howard Stark, built me this time machine um, so that I could do all this stuff. But um, keeping the heroes in stasis or whatever it is that he's done with them. Um, so now they have to, like, reverse engineer it or something like that. Uh, but anyway, there's also going to be, I think, Ultimate in... Uh, there's another Ultimate something or other that's happening. What is it? It's coming out this coming week. It is, maybe it's not, there's something later this month then that's coming out that's Ultimate related, but anyway. Um, next up we got Hellcat number five was the finale. I was a little bit bummed by this to be honest because I really really hate it when you get these female-led series, like Captain Marvel kind of just did it, but it wrote it all off as, I'm afraid to turn into Scarlet Witch, which was just felt so out of the blue. Um... It, it like it, they just kind of end <laughs> they have not quite a really big um moment of a like internal speech and then it ends and it's like it doesn't quite reach the high point that you expect it to for this big at final speech that they're making and that's pretty much how hellcat went um it basically ends with she's a hero or she's a villain so, whatever. <laughs> because I, um, they go back into the whole thing about how her mom had made that deal back in the Defender's Day. Well, when she was a child, her mom made the deal um, that if she, when she dies, uh, a demon can take Patsy's soul and or body or something. Um, and so that she'd live. And obviously, when she dies, that kind of comes to fruition. Patsy's temporarily a demon. Uh, what this is building off of, this story builds off of that. Um, and says, well, she's still got that demon part in her, um, and it, it has to go back to hell another time or two, um, and it kind of makes sense, I guess, you know, that, that the demon has been there for so long that, or parts of the demon have been there for so long that it's a part of her now, and I don't really know if you could say that that's her true self, because it was never, I don't know, I don't know, but, um, it kind of, like, I guess in a way explains why she and Damon were so attached so quickly because uh, if you look through their relationship chronologically it is a textbook case of um just real bad shit happening but anyway um so the finale just kind of ended this is like so, so, so she knocked the demon side out of her uh, actively at least it's not actively there and so now she's like um i'm traumatized now but i'll get better but I might be good or I might be evil. And that's kind of how it ends. Like, well, that's not really saying much. <laughs> but okay. Um, per Evil Number 1 by Mirka Endolfo and... It was good. Um, obviously something really ridiculous and fun. And I'm here for that. She-Hulk Number 15 was the finale of this arc, basically. And then it's going to go with the same creative team 
onto Sensational She-Hulk, which I am a little bit mad about because John Byrne wasn't actually all that great, let's be honest. He was an incredibly creepy dude and wrote some real, real <laughs> awful stories. Um, but anyway, this was fine. The art was good. I'm looking forward to more She-Hulk, I guess, even if it is disappointingly light. There's not much substance to any of it for even a moment, but that's fine. At least we're getting She-Hulk, right? <laughs> I try to justify it that way. Avengers number three, uh, Iron Man's suit is blue, and there is some kind of what they're calling a combine of oddly named evildoers. Now, what I think is happening here is that... Um, who were they? The Black... Um, Thanos' Black Order, right? All those, they called, in the movies, they called them the children of Thanos, right? They're not literally the children of Thanos. People took it that way, though. Um, and they have all their cruel names. And I feel like during the Infinity event or Inhumanity or whatever it was that they were center stage, all these writers saw their really funky, cool names. You know, we've got uh, Cole Obsidian. We've got <laughs> Corvus Glaive. Uh, Hello was one, but that doesn't really count right now. Black Dwarf, Black Swan... Proxima Midnight, Ebony Maw, you know, they the, the various less than that creator creators went through and saw that, and I feel like uh, Jed McKay, you know, you've done good stuff for Black Cat and, and, and some other things, and your Clea stuff has been disappointing, to be honest, but, you know, the names he came up with are, <laughs> they, they sound a little dumb, but um, it's trying to be like Obsidian Maw and stuff like that, it's, it's not quite that cool. Um... And so now they're there. Cool. Daredevil and Echo number three. Matt ends up the sacrifice. I really am lost in the story at this point. I'm not going to lie. And then Silk number three. Cindy has found out that she's dreaming and that it resets every time she voices that thought. So at this point, she's just playing all along. Her brother in the real world goes to Wong for help, which is nice to see. Cindy is fighting a dream monster, apparently, called a Jali. Fight it in the dream, and you give it energy as a spider totem. Cindy can uniquely keep powering it up until it joins the corporeal world. Albert, her brother, needs to go to Cindy's dream world to give her a magic crystal. Um, the tech lady kind of tries to stop this, it doesn't work, and she saves the creature, sort of, by 90%-ish becoming it uh, in the real world there, so... That's probably not what she meant to do. It looks real bad. <laughs> it looks like it's painful. So going into Marvel's The Fall, uh, we had Iron Man number eight and the Hellfire Gala, which the main thing I have written here is ugh in my notes. Overcomplicated. Now this is different. It's overcomplicated in the way that Jonathan Hickman does things, in which the way that he plays out the story is the pieces being put together. This is overcomplicated, by the way, of just too many moving pieces. You have things out of left field. You've got Moira suddenly here. You've got now everybody's an Orcus villain, and even Firestar's an Orcus villain. Not really, though. Like, it's just... Oh, God. The first Hellfire Gala, Hickman put out some really fun stuff, and the second one last year was like so incredibly disappointing because it ended up just being all about Moira, and for some reason... Mary Jane and Peter Parker, which was not something I think anybody wanted to be reading about in the Hellfire Gala at all. <laughs> um, and then this year was just like, I'm sorry, for lack of a better word, it's a clusterfuck. And it ends with 
all of the X-Men, all of the, excuse me, all of the mutants who were on Krakoa, except for maybe ten, being slaughtered. We've seen this story before. I'm so tired of it. This is literally why Hickman gave us the Hickman era of Krakoa and X of Sword, all that stuff, like, to stop killing, like, this is, do you not have another play? This is the only play you guys have, is kill all the mutants and make them start over. Like, come on, this has been like the third time this has happened. I'm sick of it. It is not fun. It is not interesting. It's not original. It's not even traumatic. We know they're going to come back. It doesn't matter. It's just stuff happening. Why does anybody care? They're going to come back next week, just like Kamala came back as... And they're like, oh, and, and for some reason, then Scott, which on this side it makes sense, and Emma, which on her side it makes absolutely no sense, want to use Kamala, a child, to uh, make the mutants look good. They're like, oh yeah, tell everybody that you're a mutant and an inhuman, because then they'll see that the mutants are good. I'm sorry, Emma would never do that. Scott would, because he's always been a piece of shit. But Emma, like, was traumatized post her original um, uh, Hellions team, like, she does not hurt children anymore. Um, so it's just like, I don't know. I just really didn't like anything really about the Hellfire Gala except for the mostly good art. Um, and then there's like the new issue, the new cover of the Ms. Marvel, the mutant or whatever, the new X-Men Ms. Marvel, whatever it is. Um, it, gets, it's, it looks so bad. I, I feel like they've done her such a disjustice with that outfit. <laughs> But anyway, Iron Man number eight was the, like, the other side of stuff, because you get some people who escape Krakoa, um, and some who were drawn off to do this fake fight for Captain America, and this is, like, that side of it. You see that side of things. So, um, this guy who was in the stuff earlier for the X-Men, he's pink, I think? His skin is pink? Uh, he hates the X-Men for whatever reason. He somehow won the rights to Iron Man and is using... Sentinel Iron Man's to patrol for mutants. That's how Orcus got them to attack Krakoa. It's exhausting. Um, Diamond Form Emma superhero landing was really cool. There is clearly no love between the two of them. She's furious at him for most of the issue. He is not really happy with her for most of the issue either. Um, but they clearly still care for each other as allies. Therefore, I'm only left to believe that this wedding is going to be a complete farce for whatever reason, plot base. Um, but anyway, Tony is smashed almost to death by Sentinels, and Emma literally has to go inside his mind to save him. And then she gets slapped with an inhibitor collar, which was lame, uh, but Tony uses the rescue protocol, which is like, you know, um, what's her name? Ginger? No, Pepper. Uh, <laughs> Ginger. Pepper had the rescue suit, so he, he uses the rescue protocol, which goes to the female there, which was Emma in this case, and saves her that way. So she's still got the inhibitor collar on, which I still am mad about because I just can't not depower female figures, female characters. It's a whole thing. And then that leaves us with DC's Night Terrors. We'll go through these issues very loosely because uh, a lot of them, um, like Angel Breaker, I don't even know who that is. That's literally all I have written here is I don't know who this is. I don't know what this is. Um, but Night Terrors, the issue in the main series, number two, um, it tells a story about how the Nightmare Stone is created, and then basically you wind up with the Night Terror creatures who are there, which I don't quite understand what they are. Uh, they kill Red Tornado, which is a robot, so I'm sure he'll be fine. 
Night Terror's Action Comics number one was Paige Starr versus her new bestie Omen, who I still am convinced is a villain anyway. And then it had the second story about the other supers, which I would love somebody to explain who the heck they are. Obviously, I know Connor Kent. But why are all these Kryptonians living together and so all of a sudden? I don't... I miss that, clearly. Um, Detective Comics Night Terror's number one was Gordon's story. Night Terror's Harley Quinn, I have nothing to say about. That was positive. And then Night Terror's Titans number one was the Titan's Tower, uh, Titan Tower's nightmare itself. So that was kind of an odd take, but it's, it's fun, I guess. So that brings us into what is new coming out in comics this week. This is just my full list. There's a lot more than this. These are just things that I find that I will be probably looking forward to reading. Check out your local comic book shop and, you know, the internet for what else is coming out each week. Um, I also have, if you need some resources or if you have questions about how to track what comics are coming out when, yada yada yada, please reach out. I have taught myself all of these things in the past decade, so I would love to uh, tell you all what I do to keep this stuff straight in my head. Because it's a lot. It can be a lot. So new this week, which is August 1st, hello, and August 2nd, tomorrow. Starting with The Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, not written by Zeb Wells, thank the lord, written by Erica Schultz, who is doing the Hollow's Eve series right now, which is stupendously popular, I think nobody saw coming, and I'm very happy for that. It says Hollow's Eve will attempt her biggest scheme yet, breaking Chasm out of jail. Currently imprisoned in Madeline Pryor's new demonic limo embassy, Spider-Man's misguided clone is more vengeful than ever, and Hallow's Eve is the only one who dares to let him loose. Does she have the skills and nerve to go head-to-head -head against the Goblin Queen, and how long will the dark tidings from this year's Hellfire Gala impact her bold rescue attempt? I don't care about that part very much. I care about Madeline Pryor. Also, why was she not at the Hellfire Gala? She should have been invited if Wilson Fisk was invited, and all those other assholes, but okay. I would like to see somebody design her a Hellfire Gala outfit. I feel like it would just be made of flames attached by, like, nip covers and stuff. Anyway. Strange Academy, Miles Morales, number one of three, is by Carlos Hernandez, who I think might be the one who wrote that really awful what if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but this is going to be three issues of, um, you know, Miles and Strange Academy. Conan the Barbarian is coming from Titan Books by Jim Zub, continuing from their free comic book day special and has a really cool art germ variant that I recommend checking out. Death of the Venomverse number one has a funly release variant of Silence, who is a character I love. Fire and Ice number one comes from Dynamite, and then the Sacrificers number one from Image Comics by Rick Remender with a sick Jenny Frizen, unfortunately, incentive variant, so it's going to be expensive. Star Wars Dark Droids number one sounds like a cool party I want to be a part of. And it's written by Charles Soule, who is a uh, proven, excellent Star Wars writer. Then we have Justice Society of America number five. Doctor Strange number six, which is not really anything about Clea in the uh, description or in any of the covers, so we'll see if I care about that one. Adventures of Superman, John Kent number six continues the... Injustice uh, world arc they're doing, and then Grim number 12, uh, which has been an excellent series. As I believe, Image or Boom, whatever. Um, and then we have from Marvel the X Men The Fall, it's going to kick off Magneto number one, Astonishing Iceman number one by Steve Orlando, because I feel like anytime they have a queer man in anything, they give it to Steve Orlando. 
Like, this is the only one in existence. <laughs> and then X-Men number 25, I'm actually looking forward to. I haven't been keeping up with the main X-Men line. But this one I will read, because it says, She's been known as Kitty, Sprite, Ariel, Red Queen, and Captain Kate. Now, as a new X-Men team finds their way through their darkest hour, Shadowcat emerges. Oh yeah, there's another thing that happened in the Hellfire Gala. They named the new X-Men team, who were then immediately slaughtered. It was like... Are you trying to make them look bad? <laughs> but okay. Uh, it's a really cool Peach Momoko design variant. I really like this costume design. I'm very, very pleased with it, which is not a common thing to hear. I feel like comic readers say period these days. <laughs> and then DC's Night Terrors. We have issues two of two for Batman, Black Adam, Poison Ivy, Ravager, and the Joker. So I'll be summarizing all of those next on the next podcast episode. The last thing I want to talk about is things that I'm looking forward to this month in August. Since we already went over the week of August 1st and 2nd, let's talk the rest of the month. Next week for the 8th and 9th, we're going to get, um, let's see, Children of the Vault number one, Comic Books Kill number one, a new set of Night Terrors number two issues, as well as Night Terrors number three, Met Cadets number one, and the Superman 2023 annual. The week of August 16th, we're getting Alpha Flight number one, The Cole number one, Dark X-Men number one with my girl Madeline Pryor. I'm super stoked for that. I really liked the Disney villains Maleficent series, so I'm going to keep up with that and start the Hades one that week as well. We have a Doctor Who 2023 special, um, let's see, In Invincible Iron Man annual, a pen and ink republication of The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, which was a stupendous read. Marvel's Voices, X-Men number one, uh, and then Uncanny Avengers number one. And then for the week of the 23rd, we've got Captain America Finale as a first issue, Fantastic Four Annual, Immortal Thor number one, that's an Al Ewing series, and then Jean Grey number one, some more Night Terrors, including Night Terrors number four, uh, and The Penguin number one, Realm of X number one, and The Schlub number one. Finally, for the last week of August, for things that we're looking forward to, we've got Catwoman Uncovered, which is just the issue full of cool covers I've done for the Catwoman books in the past and in the recent past. Uh, Devil's Cut kicks off. Hell Witch Forbidden from Coffin Comics, which I'm sure is going to be awful, but I try to support the characters going in better directions. <laughs> uh, Night Terrors and Night's End, which sounds like that's going to be one of the wrap-ups. And then Little White Lie, Marvel Age 1000, Moon Knight Annual, and the first issue of Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, number one, which... Who's that actually written by? Let me see. Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, number one, is written by... Hmm. Okay. Well, it's sorry. It was, was co-written by Iman Vellani and then Sabir Perzada, who is not a writer I'm familiar with. I want to say he was one of the guys who did the show. Doesn't say. But... Here we are. Um, mixed mixed feelings. Just hella mixed feelings. Betsy Cole has got a variant. Lucas Warnock's got a variant. Uh, Luciana Vecchio. John Tyler Christopher. Action figure variant. Archer variant. Arthur Adams. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, we'll see. We'll see when we get there, I guess, how that one kind of goes. With the TV movies and anime segment. And the Joining us now is Adam. Hello, Adam. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you. 
<laughs> so the first things, new things for the spring anime season. Mashal isn't new, but it took like a almost two month, I want to say, break because the voice actor was apparently overworked. His voice was being overworked, so he had to take a health break in that sense. And it's back, and it's absolutely hilarious, and I'm still loving it. Um, St. Cecilia and Pastor Lawrence, I thought was going to be some weird, like, semi-horny creepiness, and it's not. It's actually very funny. Um, she's like this little gnome girl who just acts like a saint when people are around, and then as soon as anybody else leaves, she's like, Ugh, I want to go to bed. It's like me. Um, and then Pokemon Distant Blue Sky absolutely walloped us with the first episode. I was really... <laughs> I mean, it's not that surprising. It was a very Pokemon first episode. Ash gets, he runs across some random kid in the forest and befriends him, only to later find out the kid is a ghost of a child who died some time ago, and his dream was to touch a Pokemon, so Ash, like, helps him complete his dreams so that he can move on to the afterlife. It is quite emotional. <laughs> I've been binging The Bedevil is a Part-Timer to catch up with that. And then uh, A Knock at the Cabin and The Little Mermaid. Those are two movies that I watched last weekend. Um, a Knock at the Cabin was... Uh, what's his name? Who did The Village? Oh, goodness. M. Night Shyamalan. Thank you. Him. M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and it had... What's it? It had Drax. Dave Bautista. Thank you. I'm good at names. Dave Bautista um, was one of the characters. There's a couple other recognizable people in it as well. Really, really... It was very good, and then once you get to the end, and it's like, oh, right, this really is this, and it's like, oh, I kind of would have rather it be crazy people, but that's fine. The Little Mermaid I genuinely really enjoyed. Congratulations to the Disney moms who got Javier Bardem, um, you know, King Triton, I think is his name, right? Yes. Um, congratulations. I am happy for you ladies. <laughs> you guys are thirsty for a animated dad who just got IRL hot, so good for you. Um, good movie. I liked it. Music was fantastic. I gotta rewatch the original because I thought there was like some original numbers, but I could be wrong. I know the one, obviously, the Scuttlebutt song by Aquafina was obviously new, <laughs> but it was still fun. Uh, you will kind of watch some of that over my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. For a musical, not bad. Yeah, I don't really like musicals, but it was really good. Okay. All right, so then Castlevania, for our only news, really only news item, is that Castlevania is coming with a spinoff. Nocturne. I know you're really excited for that. Yeah, it looks really good. Um, it's it's. I, I believe it's Richter. Um, I think he was the one the third or fourth game followed. Hmm. So there's like some kind of like cool like other story that you could like follow up on, I guess. And this is without what's his name? Um, the other you know names again. Um, oh, Warren Ellis. That Warren guy. Ellis, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It shows that it's the show very much still has the same vibes and style. So it, Warren it shows Ellis it, wasn't the key to that. Yeah, Thank exactly. It shows that he wasn't needed. <laughs> yeah, it's good not to have people like that doing yes. these sorts of things. <laughs> so that'll be what is that? September twenty eighth. So we got almost yes. two months. Almost totally two months. Um, okay, so that's pretty much it for news. We were lucky enough to have episode 8 of Strange New Worlds this past Thursday, even though we had the special crossover episode with Lower Decks uh, released over the weekend for Comic-Con. This one was called Under the Cloak of War, and it was a very interesting, it was a different, obviously, I think you said it last week, that there's like, oh yeah, they're going to do a bunch of comedy for this one, and then next time it's going to be a lot more serious. Mm -hmm. Definitely followed by that plot. Um, this one was had to do a lot to do with PTSD for soldiers, 
Uh, you have Mbenga and Nurse Chapel who were on the worst front line of the war between the you know the Federation and the um, Klingons. And so then this Klingon guy is Klingons, right? Yeah, Romulans yes, are the other yes, ones. Yeah. I always get the Klingons and the Romulans mixed up. Not always, occasionally. Um, and so then though the war is over and like this guy who was an absolute devastator. Oh my god, my cat. Um, has is on their ship and they just like are completely taken back to the worst parts of the war. Um, and the stuff that they had to do and the people who they lost and things like that. And, and it's really odd because it actually ends in a couple... It ends in a... It's interesting because throughout the whole thing, they're calling the general this one term. I don't remember what it was, but it was something like the slaughterer of masses or something like that. The butcher. The butcher. The butcher of such and such place they were at. Because he apparently butchered his entire underlings, all of his generals, all of his, like, anything under him for his own army. He butchered all of them in that night. And apparently that title has been something that everybody knows he has, and he did that. Well, it comes out on this that that was not him. He took the title because everybody assumed it was him. It was actually Mbenga. And so Mbenga reveals, I was the butcher. I was there that night. I slaughtered your generals. And they have this big, like, kind of almost physical altercation for a second. The guy grabs a knife that Mbenga killed all his generals with. And we're led to believe, we're not sure at this point what happened, that it may have been an accident. But the guy, the, the, the Klingon, yeah, the Klingon guy gets stabbed and is dead. Um... I think he stabbed himself to try and frame Mbenga in some way. Um, or because he was like, just, I don't know, going crazy in the moment. What did you think about it? Um, yeah, it was a really good episode. And like, I, I think I said before, like this one that Mbenga um, and, and Lon are slowly becoming my favorite characters. And this mm-hmm. episode kind of cemented that more for Mbenga. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why it was so, you know, impactful to him and Nurse Chapels because they were actually on the planet that guy was a general of and mm-hmm. gave the call to kill anybody not Klingon. Yeah. So he's the main reason why they were in that conflict and why it was so bad. Um, what, what, basically, what I got from it is that um, Mbenga was like, okay, cool, you took credit for... Basically, because Mbenga had snapped one night and he was going to go there and kill him and take out the whole thing and try and end the war. Um, so he ends up getting away, and what I took it as is that because basically Mbenga was like, you're going to tell, because this guy's like now like what, a, a peacekeeper on the council or something. Yeah. And Mbenga was going to like, basically you have to, you have to tell the truth that it wasn't you and all that kind of stuff. And he's basically saying that like, that will ruin my career as a peace thing. Uh, the Klingons won't take me seriously. So yeah, I think it was very much like, he was like, okay, cool. Well, to preserve my work, I'm going to kill myself, but in turn probably make it look like Mbenga did it. But that probably isn't, I don't, I don't think it ended up working out that way. It'll probably just... You know, he what, we we what saw he what Una went through, where it was like, there was no way she was going to get out of that. And lo and yes. behold, they got her out of it using extremely smart um, and not at all skeevy tactics. They literally yes. went by the letter of the law and proved their way yes. that could keep her out. And, her. and this very much fit with this guy. He took the credit of work of somebody else to build up this foundation. And then when it's found out that he's a fraud, he's like, oh, what's the easiest way out again? This way. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any doubt that, that it'll come to a reasonable conclusion. Although I do really wonder what... I, I Mbenga is not a character who we see in any other Star Wars content. So that's what makes me wonder if this is going to be kind of like a way for them to send him off and he like just can't be here anymore like and he's got to go somewhere else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But whenever something like this happens like I I kind of thought that we were going to lose Una after season 1 because that's how season 1 ended. Um, and she's not in any further Star Trek content. So I'm always waiting for something like that, but hopefully this won't be it, but I'm kind of 
keeping that in mind just in case he does end up not being in the show after this arc. It won't hit his heart. Well, and this, it's not just this arc. I think it's the final. What is this? That was episode eight, and there's going to be ten episodes. So oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's we're we're wrapping it up with this arc, I think. So then, Secret Invasion. I was kind of like loosely watching it over my book while you were watching. Um, talk about the finale. Um, it it's it's really funny the. The, the whole message at the end of She-Hulk was like, you know, don't do big CGI fights that don't really lead to anything for finales, and they kind of did that in this. Yeah. Um, so it's really funny. It's just like, it's, it's like they're aware, but they're not really, in a way. Uh, it's really funny. I've seen people like, you know, it wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't bad either. Um, I just think people are, are used to, or have the MCU humor so ingrained in them, they want jokes every 30 seconds, and this didn't have that. Um, and also another thing is, is that like, I feel like this fits the the adaptation of the comic because the comic ending had a lukewarm reaction, the <laughs> same reaction the TV show does. So I think in that aspect, it fits. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's just kind of starting to show that like, there's not really much of a plan with this kind of stuff. Now it kind of seemed like we're seeing the tail end of them just going, yes, make this a show, make that a show, make this a show and just flood the market with content. I had a couple of things that I saw that were kind of interesting. Obviously, first off, CGI battle, whatever, and all that. But I think Amelia Clark did great with the like facial expressions and body language of somebody, particularly when she gets Carol's power, which is a thing they said they yeah. were never going to do, but she gets it here, and and you can see like looks like she's going to burst like from the inside out, and then like her like gritting her teeth while she's like trying to hold in the power in mm -hmm. and stuff like that was really cool to see. Because we're, we've only ever seen that on a person who has done this for 20 years and has absolutely no issues controlling her power and letting it flow through her. And then you put that on some rando, like, uh, Gia, Gaia, yeah, Gaia, Gaia, oh my God, Gaia, and it's, it's going to be quite an experience and really physically difficult. I, I also really hope they keep bringing back Amelia Clark because that is the whole, how, how the, that was I, my next thing. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy how they did the MCU super scroll. I think it very much fits with the MCU world. Like you're not going to have the fantastic. I can four. guarantee you forgot about the scene in Captain Marvel where young Monica sits on the steps with young. Gaia I want to see. Oh, Oh, playing with a toy. Oh my God. Yep. I did. Wow. Yeah. And cause, if they oh, don't put her in the Marvels, they have massively screwed and up. And it's also like, man, that what a big change. Cause in that point in time, guy had her mom and dad and they both believed mm -hmm. in this ideal to get a planet. And now both of her parents are gone and it's just her with this broken dream mm -hmm. that Fury himself even admitted was a lie. Yep. So, Ooh man. Yeah. But it's just like, it, it, yeah, you're right. Like the, how they handle it. And then also how they, really showed how strong Carol is in the MCU. Like, mm -hmm. her literally just, like, blowing a hole yep. through him, and then it just goes off into, like, that's, like, some, like, when fucking Goku lets out the final Kamehameha kind of stuff, like, <laughs> power level. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, they weren't, like, that shit went off into space and just probably hit the sun or something. And obviously giving her Drax powers was stupid because it's just... It's, it's just strange. She's, like, for a half a second has his arm, and then it, it's really badly CGI'd, and then that's it. It's like, people are making jokes. The power of fatherhood. Um, I also do not think that Gravik is dead. That'd be too easy. Exactly. But they've been doing that so much in their shows. So I know, but it's like, ah, because it's like, I could definitely see him. He got his ass kicked, and he, you know, ran off with his tail in between his legs, but, like, they just flashed to his body, and then, like, they didn't go back to it. It didn't show the hole, because they showed that they both have The hole was there. Okay. But they both have extremists, and have shown can uh -huh. heal from moral injuries, so I'm kind of like... Because, yeah, just like you said, like, I, 
they don't need to keep killing off people like that. And then it'd also be but like... But it's a very MCU thing to do, but maybe they've learned, but maybe they... It's like, you can go back and forth. I know, it's, yeah, it's so, like, but yeah, I really hope, like, the, the two, like, new characters in this, I guess, era I really want to see more of are Hercules, of course, yes. and, and her. Um, just because, like, Gaia. those are, like... And Gaia, like, those are the two new friends. And especially with her, like, the souped-up Super Scroll powers. They can mm-hmm. do so much with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... And you get a lot of the the standard. I don't know if it's because it's a woman or it's because it's pop culture or what. It's probably because it's a woman. But the the cringe bros on Twitter doing the like, look how cringy this fight scene is. And yeah, it was stupid. She got Drax's arm for a second, but it really, I'm, it really was excellent physical body acting to have her struggling to maintain the powers bursting from within her. That was she did a very good job with that and that whole scene. I mean, people love to make. Like when in Rings of Power came out and you had the bit of Galadriel flipping up onto the horse and they're trying to do the same thing. Oh, look how cringy this is. You never saw anything like this in Peter Jackson. Yes, you did, actually. Legolas did that a number of times, but I guess you forgot. Well, it, it, they call that, they call the, the scene of her, like, you know, using the powers cringy, but they ignore when, you know, Gravik is walking around with a fucking Thanos arm and a Groot arm trying to fight her. He had a Thanos arm? He had a Thanos oh my arm, God, yeah. Like, it's like one. a giant purple Thanos arm flying oh through the air, and I'm like, what is that even, like, gonna do? Like, you have, you have we, a We can agree the whole thing was a little bit cringy, okay? Yeah. It wasn't one side, well, yeah. one gender or another. It, <laughs> and it's also, my thought process is like, you have the Hulk's arm, but you're going to use Thanos? Is like, what? Well, like he did whip him, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, you know, it was a little bit up and down. Um, I am not going to expect to ever see her in Cap- in the Marvels movie, even though people have been like, well, because the whole reason it that was brought up, well, well, the whole th- reason people brought that up was, I bet they forgot they even did this. And mm-hmm. I'm part of me, a big part of me is really in agreement of that because... History shows. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they have all these opportunities to do things in the MCU. You can change things from the comics, whatever. But when you set up these great opportunities and then never play out on them, it gets, that's what's really disappointing to me for for the MCU, recently at least. Um, I didn't expect much from the Secret Invasion show, so I don't think it was very disappointing to me to see that it went this way. I think as far as what the show was supposed to accomplish, it probably did that just fine. I think anybody who's going into the Marvels aware that it's sort of following up on the Secret Invasion show in a sense, in a certain direction, they'll have watched it or have read up on what happened. So I don't think that that's a thing to be concerned about at all. Yeah, I don't um, think it's... I think the content of... The show will probably be pretty easy to summarize. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say. Okay. They did the classic pointless retcon after the show is finished, where the director mm. came out and said, now he said he thinks, he so there's thinks. nothing yeah. canon. He said, well, I think that Rhodey's been a scroll since Civil War, which makes zero sense because of the blood, because of the broken legs thing, because here and there, like, yeah. there's so many reasons for that not to make sense. Because the snap, like, you don't, none of these questions have answers, but this guy's still going to try to come out and, like, you yeah, didn't need to know that Dumbledore had a sexuality. That was never something in the question of anybody's minds ever. We also didn't need to know what your opinion was about this, Mr. Director. Well, and the thing that's funny is he only directed that episode. So oh, really? it's like, yeah, so it's like, okay, so you really Why are you getting know? any any views well, about this? And the one thing that I've seen from my just myself, you know, not that I, like, watch everything and remember everything, but I just do remember specifically after that, especially Infinity War and Endgame, Rhodey had on the leg braces to mm-hmm. walk around and move. 
But then when you see him in Falcon and Winter Soldier, when he has that moment with Sam, he no longer has leg braces and throughout the entire time of Secret Invasion. So I think I vaguely remember saying like, oh yeah, didn't what happened to his broken legs? We're like, I, oh, he probably just got a chip or something. I remember you saying that, yeah, and then it's just kind of like, see that that that's kind of why I'm like, oh, they expect us just like blow it over. I think it happened. He got better. Yeah, I think it happened sometime after Endgame, but before Falcon. And, and that's probably Soldier. what the scroll who was playing him said. Oh, I got better, or I got a chip from Tony's stuff. <laughs> yeah, because the, the chip from Tony thing would make sense, and definitely low key like. Come on, Tony, as smart as he was, he figured out fucking time travel, but he couldn't figure out, you know, a chip to get his buddy walking. Can we sidebar for a second? Because you just said low-key, and I remember the low-key trailer came out. Oh, yes. Great segue. <laughs> uh, I didn't watch it because you told me what you told me, and I was like, okay, yeah. I'll I'll watch it when I feel like it. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Major's stuff has kind of evolved since we talked about it originally. <laughs> um, no, he was not guilty for that particular case yes there is a lot of other dirt that came up at the same time that has not been addressed period so we're gonna leave it at that for him personally because i feel like enough complications have come up that you who are we to make a judgment um but at the same time they're clearly not getting rid of him no you said he's in the trailer a lot yeah i for one did not really i mean loki loki season one ends the way that it does and then we get Quantumania, and for whatever reason in my head, I have not really expected Loki season two to be kind of following up from that point in season one. I don't know. I just, I didn't really see them making this like an MCU size thing. Obviously, you have it, Tom Hiddleston and you have what's his name in it, and I'm sure you have a couple other big names who are in it from the last season, but like, I, I just didn't. I was like, okay, season two is going to be like probably toned down and maybe taking a different path because all this other stuff is going to happen between the end of season one and, but I guess it really hasn't because they can pick up right where they left technically. But then you have the whole question. I just go in around in circles with this about like, Oh, but King and quantum mania was dead, but the King and the other one was it. And that was this guy like, which I don't find it to be very fun to speculate about that. I find it to be more annoying well, at the, this point. The, the whole thing that they get away with it is that they said TVA headquarters isn't affected by any outside changes. Unless it's, like, something... But then if they still kill the motherfucker, he's dead still. But then there's all these other... You have you just showed us the Council of Kangs. Because... because Which the... Kang is it that took over the TVA? Like, I, I I don't really have much fun with it. It's not very fun to think about. I'd it's, rather it's, just it's have them fucking really... simplify it. It's not really... <laughs> at, well, what I think we're going to end up finding out is we never really found out. But, like, I think they're going to end up saying that Kang was the one who created the TVA because he wanted to have open timelines to go into and... Well, that was the whole thing. They had never really clarified, oh, the founders or whatever it was. Yeah, because it was kind of like, you know... Oh, right, because he didn't create the TVA because he was the the one without it. He must not be named Voldemort or whatever. Okay, well, there we go. Um, But yeah, so that's why I kind of feel like it's it's no matter what, like, some version of... him came back. Well, no, that's what I mean. Like, no matter what will happen, some version of him will be the one who founded it is basically what ended up happening. Oh, and then one thing I really like, uh, Kihu Kwan's going to be in season two. Um... The, the, from, Papa? no, from, oh. um, oh God, uh, Indiana Jones, you know, the easiest one. Oh, oh shit. And then, and then of course, everything, everywhere, all Hot dogs, hot your hands. Yes. And everything, everywhere. That was really cool. Cause the trailer starts. <laughs> oh my like, God. And motherfucking American born Chinese. Yes. I can't yes. believe, oh God. I love that he's having a moment. Yes, me too. And then, uh, and then, yeah, his, his great moment in American born Chinese. And then now this thing of like, he doesn't have to play the, 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 you know, the cliche Asian guy anymore. Like he's I really I really please look up the scene of his speech. What's his name? Kihu Kwan. 
uh, look, from American Born Chinese. Look up the scene of his speech. He's playing an actor. Um, He's basically playing himself in the show. Yeah. Holy shit. Really, really good. If you watch anything from that show, watch that speech because I feel like that. For the simple parts of it, that solid that that there is the message, and then you get the more complex thing of the you know the generational trauma and the heritage mm-hmm. and the expectation. That's that's all a little bit more out, but that like the core of it is his speech there for me. That was like holy cow, yeah, and it's really re- fantastic, and it's really awesome. Now, like the trailer starts off, you know, of course, like uh, Tom Hiddleston, Loki, and then Owen Wilson, Mobius, just walking in. And then they immediately get greeted by Kihu Kwan, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's letting you know that, like, he's probably going to be a reoccurring character in the show. Mm-hmm. He's basically the guy who runs, like, the the, the help desk or whatever. He's yeah. like, yeah. So, but, yeah. It's really, I'm excited to see him in it. Oh, my God. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're never going to see a proper Lady Loki. Um, we were talking about that for whatever reason the other day, how if they, it was some character was saying, oh, yeah, we're never going to get a proper version of that in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And the example I used was, that's probably the extent of the Lady Loki they're going to give us. Which sucks because that's not at all. Shut up, Bath. Yeah, she does. She does show back up as well, and they're. they're oh, she is. The yeah, okay. they're they're doubling down on it because they're. Oh just, God, I forgot about that whole. Cr- yeah, the, I forgot no, about that not, side. Not the relationship okay, because it seems so. like she's she's disappeared somehow after the changes, and that yeah, they have that to go find her sense. again. Um, Please don't kiss again. That shit made me so. I, I, I don't think it's gonna be. I just, yeah. No, but the, the, I think you're going to double down on just, like, she's the Loki because they're just seeing, like, where they team up on this guy to, like, in, uh, interrogate him. And then they both have the Loki forms form up in shadows as they're going to use magic and interrogate him. Okay. Okay. So that leaves us with the first three episodes of Harley Quinn Season 4, which is just as ridiculous as it's always been. But we do have a completely different um, dynamic in this season. <laughs> which I'm very happy so far in the first three episodes has been solid. They haven't strayed from that at all. It's been straight villain Harley romantically dating consistently. No heart. Sorry. Hero Harley and villain Ivy making it work as Mm -hmm. with, without getting into each other's business that much, it seems, which was awesome. Um, Power couple. Yes. Oh, I had the whole episode about that in the last season. That's right. Um, I don't know. I just really enjoy that dynamic, and I'm glad that it's not like causing relationship drama between them. They're not like, well, you can't do this because that's going up with my plan. It's more like if they interfere with each other's stuff, it's more like, oh, hey, fancy seeing you here. <laughs> yeah, which which I totally was kind of worried about. I was like, oh, and God. not like I need to use this information my girlfriend gave me and stab her in the back, which <laughs> is nobody nobody wants to see that man. We've seen enough of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, the, t- the titles are also just as funny as they were last season's. Gotham's Hottest Hotties is episode one. B-I-T-C-H is episode two. It stands for something. It stands for it was some... an Alfred acronym. It was, a- yeah, it was an acronym from Alfred because Alfred was having Harley Quinn trained to be a uh, part of the Bat family. And it's, and B-I-T-C-H was like... T was, uh, T was tea, like drinking tea. And yeah, H it was, was like, handle. It, was, it was like the various, like, it was like hand, yeah, handle the problem. T is drink the tea. You know, it was like really random. B was like, be the best as you can be. Or so it was like something that's not actually like an acronym, B-I-T-C-H, but it's very loosely. Like they put it somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, really, really funny. Alfred is still great. Oh, and Nightwing is, um. Guillermo. Guillermo from, uh, from what we, what do, we in do in the Shadows. shadows <laughs> in case you didn't know that. Fantastic. You would not expect that, but it's gem casting. And then the third episode was Icons Only. Um, I don't really remember what was in that one. But they were all good. I really enjoyed this. I think it's Thursdays, our new episodes. 
So we'll see a new episode before we do the next podcast. Anything you wanted to add for anything today? Um, no. Yeah. Uh, Harley <laughs> Quinn's great. Oh, and then there's also, because I think it's that on Thursdays and then Superman on Fridays now. Yes. So nice. Yes. nice. The Superman show, I don't really have a segment for it because it is technically for kids. Oh, really? I think. Oh, wow. I got to look that up. I'm not. That's a perfect balance if it I'm is. I'm not really like, sure. I, I, that was my understanding when I saw the trailer for it, but I could have been like, just, I don't know what I'm talking about ever. Um, who knows? But I'll, we'll figure that out. But, but we aren't doing the weekly rundowns. We can. We know that Lois in this last episode did the lowest thing and forced mm-hmm. him to admit that he was Superman. Because that. that would have been so boring to have a show where for the whole first season, they're like, oh, she, she was, you know, it was this thing I saw the joke about for K-dramas, right? Korean dramas. The, the timing is the whole thing. You know, the, the clip I saw was the girl is walking towards the guy, uh, is walking and he, he's speaking around the corner, is walking her, watching her walk closer to the corner and he's going to give her flowers. And then he sees some other guy run up behind her and he's like, he goes back around the corner and is like banging the flowers on the ground, crying, sobbing, broken hearted. Meanwhile, on the other side of the frame where he can't see it, the girl is getting mugged by the guy who just ran up to her. It's like, like, we don't need to have that happen for the whole Superman show. Like, we don't need her to just be half a second or looking the wrong direction and therefore didn't find out. Like, that's that gets old so fast. Not to say that that gets old in Korean dramas. That's literally part of the draw. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've been really enjoying that. The, the villain side of it is probably going to take a while to get into place because there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Um related to like Deathstroke and all that but like whatever the robot things they're using I feel like there's going to be a whole Kryptonian adjacent explanation to that I don't know we'll see anything else no I agree with that I think it'll probably end up tying back into uh, Brainiac somehow yeah I think it would have to okay so that's this week's episode it's a little short because uh, I don't have my glasses on I don't know because it is we have to deal with it uh, we'll be back next week to talk more Strange New Worlds not Secret Invasion, because that's over. But more Harley Quinn and, you know, a bunch of other fun stuff. Comics. Mm, tarot. I think our card is uh, the devil this coming week. Um, yeah, I, I just happened to think of it yeah. as you're wrapping things up. Um, there was something I saw that, uh, I, th- I think it was Mark Bernardin said it perfectly. Like, a great Superman movie or show or, you know, project is something you can take a 12-year-old to and watch. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's kind of like, that's, you don't need him snapping necks. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you don't need it. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. No. Um, when I think about the first, not the first, but the possibly, I mean, easily the, the, the live action Superman movie that I remember from growing up the best is Superman Returns with Brandon Routh mm. or Ruth, however you say it. And I will never, ever take any kind of criticism for that movie, even <laughs> though, you know, I actually don't think it was, there was anything too bad with it but um because i remember being whatever age i was when that came out young and watching it and it was like it was it went hard as like a 10 year old or 12 year old or whatever <laughs> like that was metal like you got lex Luthor, he's on a boat and then there's these jagged rocks coming out of the sky and then one falls on the baddies and they don't go out of the way because they just keep running in a straight like that shit's awesome as a kid. And then when he catches But then also enjoyable as an adult. And then when he catches the plane from like landing on the baseball stadium, I, I remember thinking like, <laughs> that was actually kind of cool. Yeah, when you're a kid that's always great. 
You need that kind of thing in Superman, because that's what was the first panel cover of him. Oh, he's catching a car. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, the cat just knocked over the fan. We're going to go fix it. Have a great week. Don't be a dick. Happy midsummer. August. Okay. It's not necessarily a mid- middle of summer. Midsummer is different. But anyway, good night. <laughs>